This is Hashtag History episode 95. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And I, I almost read that backwards. And this is episode 590. <laughs> oh, no. Not a good start. <laughs> yeah, not a great start. Uh, we talked about this very briefly before we started recording. Yeah. Um, but with this episode in particular, I do feel a little bit of almost guilt associated with it. I'm the biggest jerk ever because this week's topic has been on our season lineup since like season two. Yeah. Uh, And I just keep pushing her back again and again. And that's not at all because I do not think that the woman we're covering today is like not crazy important to talk about. Uh, In fact, it's the exact opposite. I am so obsessed with her and so admire her and get imposter syndrome pretty much every time I attempt to tackle this topic. Oh, there's just there are people that have quite literally dedicated their academic lives to studying this one particular woman in history. So it feels as though the stakes are super high. Well, let me speak on behalf of our listeners and let you know it's okay. Oh, thank you. I am (laughs) eager to learn whatever you have to teach. Even if it's completely false. I hope it's not. (laughs) Um, That would be great if it wasn't. Yeah. Okay. 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 Well, hold on. Let me take out all of my my fake fake news notes. Okay. Good. Um, I did decide at least, you know, for the next hour while we're recording this episode Mm -hmm. that imposter syndrome can subside. Yeah. And then it'll just immediately return the day that we release the episode instead. Yeah. Anyway, this week we are discussing an incredible and very well-known woman in history, Nellie Bly. Born Elizabeth Jane Cochran, Bly was an American investigative journalist most well-known for breaking the record when she traveled the world in just 72 days. And is also most well known for that time she went undercover as a mental patient in order to expose the realities of New York's insane asylums. And I should mention that she did all of this in the late 1800s, at a time when women still didn't have the right to vote, a time when women weren't allowed to go places or do things without a male escort, at a time when it was quite literally against the law in some parts of the country for women to wear pants, Mm -hmm. which you just recently discussed in your Van Buren Sisters episode. Bly would go on to not only change history for women, but to change the course of investigative journalism forever. In short... She was kind of Wonder Woman. (laughs) I can't wait to dive into all things Nellie Bly. Finally, after so many seasons of putting her off. But first, let's have a drink. Yes, let's. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And this is Hashtag History. The podcast for both history nerds and history haters alike. Where we dive into history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. First and foremost, thank you to Kat Fisher, who has sponsored this week's cocktail. She left us a message saying, I like gin, but scotch will do, as you <laughs> ladies hate gin. Really, choose anything you like. Love the show. Oh, thank you so much, Kat. That was really sweet. Yeah, and I, thank I, you for knowing us so well. And yeah, thank you for knowing us so well. And what I would say is we're not drinking gin. I'm, I'm not going to give it away yet. Yeah. We're not drinking gin in the cocktail we're this not, today, but... Uh, we, not scotch, but it's a whiskey. I was going to yeah, I, what I was going to say is in place of one liquor that we don't super love, there is something in here that we don't super love. Yeah. So we we took some liberties with your <laughs> suggestion, but we do, did still 
uh, choose something that we don't love. Yeah. (laughs) I actually think we're going to like it because it's not the thing we don't love, I think is going to be overpowered by things that we do love. Okay. I'm hoping for it. Okay. So today I'm doing a spin on the Nelly Rye. Oh, cute. (laughs) Which is a cocktail I found. It's actually all over the place, but this particular um, version I found on Feminist Cocktail, our YouTube channel. (gasps) That's cool. So I'll I'll call out the differences in Mm -hmm. my little version here because I, I, there was a couple things I changed. Okay. So you do rye, which is whiskey, bourbon, um, I got. I specifically went out and bought a rye whiskey cool. because it's called the Nelly Rye. Yeah. So you kind of have to. Yeah. And then the thing that we don't like. Mm. Take a guess. If it's not gin, it's not and not Campari. Yeah. Sweet vermouth. Yeah. Vermouth. Vermouth. So yeah. Equal parts rye, vermouth, and orange juice. So all equal parts of that. And then the original recipe called for a cherry brandy mm. but instead i did just like maraschino cherries but these are like legit maraschino cherries they're not like the the fake colored like bright, bright red red ones <laughs> yeah. they're like legit ones that my brother bought me that's awesome that is so, so. sweet yeah they actually look like cherries <laughs> yeah they're actual cherries yeah. um but yeah well i can say before we drink it that it smells and looks very nice yes so here's to hoping cheers <laughs> love it love it yes i don't even taste the I don't taste vermouth. the vermouth at all. Did you actually put it in there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or were you, you were so set on us liking this one that you actually left it out and just didn't tell me? No, I put it, uh, same amount of um, rye as vermouth. Mm. I would drink this again. I would drink this again. <gasps> the Nelly rye. I love this. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, it's really good. I kind of want another one. I kind of want another one too. And you know what I was thinking? Yeah. But we do, the, the one reason we do like to drink vermouth is because it gets it, the job done. It gets the job done. You feel tipsy pretty quickly. This is a great alternative to getting the job done quickly, but not dreading it the entire time you're you're attempting to accomplish that. Yeah. Um. This is amazing. Okay. Okay. So rating. Oh my gosh! I almost didn't give it a rating. Ooh, I want to say a nine. Yeah, I'm with you. A nine. 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 Have, we've never rated a vermouth cocktail at a nine i don't think everything's a perfect blend because it doesn't taste extremely alcoholic like there's no harsh taste in it even the orange juice i feel like most orange juice cocktails you can definitely like yep this is an orange juice cocktail well maybe it's that it's like fresh squeeze i was thinking that too yeah it's it's oranges that you squeeze from your backyard that might be it but just everything's so smooth okay she finished her cocktail it's done it's really good yep so that was a nine for you for sure (laughs) perhaps a ten it's really good it's really good i'm like i'm like weirded out i love it i love it okay well, that was a great start to what I think is going to be a great episode. Sweet. Okay, here I'm we excited. go. Tell, tell me all the things. I'm really excited about this one. She's such an amazing woman. I think you are, you know, we talked about this, you know of her, but yeah. similar to me, don't know like all the ins and outs. You're going to fall in love with her. Yeah. And let me say, when I say I know of her, basically the amount you told in the intro is the amount I know. You know, that might even have been more than I knew okay. about her. So, so I, this is all new to yay. me. You're going to fall in love with her. Hands I know. Down. Yeah. I, I tend to do that with all the like badass women we, yeah. we talk she's about. Gonna be, she's going to become your new fave because yeah. she's just so great. Mm-hmm. So let's get started. Okay. Elizabeth Jane Cochran, later Nellie Bly, was born on May 5th, 1864. 
She was born in Cochran's Mills, a little under 50 miles outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And no, that isn't some weird coincidence that her last name is Cochran and she was born in a town called Cochran's Mills. This town was named after her father, Michael Cochran, who founded the town after buying out the local mill and much of the surrounding land. He was a pretty successful guy working in a number of different fields, including even as a judge. Bly was the youngest of his, wait for it, Mm. 14 children. No. (laughs) Cochran had been married once before, having 10 children with his first wife and then four more with Bly's mother. Sadly, Cochran would pass when Bly was only six years old, leaving the family without a will and the family would struggle financially for a long time. Bly's mother would remarry following Cochran's death, but the man she remarried, John Jackson Ford, was drunk and abusive. In a move that was pretty unheard of in the late 1870s, Bly's mom filed for divorce. It is recorded that in a county of approximately 40,000 people, there were only 15 divorces filed that year of 1878, and only five that had been brought forth by the female partner. And I would assume that many of those brought forward were not Like, I I feel like it probably wasn't common for them to actually go through. Sure. Because, like, judges would be like, no, you're just a flighty woman or something. Totally. The reason I bring that up, number one, because of what we're just about to talk about, about Nellie's involvement in, like, the divorce proceedings. That's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons we're talking about this. But I also think it's perhaps that's where she got her independence, uh, her resilience, and strength of character. That's exactly what I was going to say. Her strength to strength of character, her strength in herself and, and the things she could do and the things she deserved. Yeah. I, I think she gets a lot of that from her mom. I think it takes a lot of conviction at that time to, totally. to make that decision. It takes a lot of conviction now yeah. to do things like that, to stand up for yourself. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. So Nellie Bly would testify at her mother's divorce hearing. And you can tell pretty early on how much of a badass she was. At only 14 years old, she testified of Ford that he has, quote, been generally drunk since they were married. When drunk, he's very cross and cross when sober. I've heard him scold mother often and heard him use profane language towards her often and calls her names a whore and a bitch, unquote. Mm. She told stories of the many times that she had watched her mother cry because of Ford, of the times when Ford had physically abused her mother, even to the point of choking her. Watching her mother suffer these abuses and witnessing the trauma her mother experienced going through the divorce proceedings would have a lasting impact on Bly. In 1879, Bly enrolled in what was then called the Indiana Normal School, where she was studying to become a teacher. Sorry. <laughs> not, not still the same name, yeah. in case you were wondering if that's since changed. Yeah. Uh, but she could only stay for one term as she did not have the funds to continue her education. She would end up moving with her mom to what is now Pittsburgh and would help her run a boarding house there. Bly was an ever-evolving woman, and I really love this about her. Early in life, she took on the nicknames of Pink or Pinky, since it was her favorite color, and because she made often, you know, the bold decision to wear pink, even when the other girls in town generally wore more demure colors like gray and brown. Boring. No, sorry. Why would you want to wear whatever you want? (laughs) But also wear whatever you want. Yeah. (laughs) She was so committed to this nickname that even in the official court records for her mother's divorce proceeding that we talked about just a moment ago, she signed her name as as Pinky E.J. Cochran. But she recognized that this name was a bit childish, and as she got older, in an attempt to appear more sophisticated, she officially dropped the nickname and even added an extra E onto the end of her last name, Cochran. Again, just to kind of give it this this air of sophistication. Hmm. 
While in Pittsburgh with her mom in 1885, when she was like 19, 20 years old, Bly came across a newspaper article in the Pittsburgh Dispatch that... I'm going to need you to buckle your seatbelts for this one. Okay. Because I don't think you're ready. <laughs> I can tell in your voice that I... This, yeah. Okay. I was going to say get prepared, but there's no way to get prepared. I am um, so scared. <laughs> yeah. This goes for all of our listeners, too. If you're in the car right now, maybe double check that seatbelt. Maybe even slow pull down over. your driving. Yeah. Perhaps pull over. Okay. Uh, if you're at home, you should probably take a seat. Mm. Because, trust me, you're going to need to. Oh, gosh. All right. So, Is it going to make me mad? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. So this article that the newspaper article that Bly came across when she's like 19, 20 years old yeah. living with her mom in Pittsburgh. Um, this article was titled What Girls Are Good For. <gasps> Maybe fortunately for the both of us, I could not find the original article. But essentially, this article stated that the only thing that girls are good for is being housekeepers and giving birth to babies. This article even went so far as to praise China for its then practice of killing female infants so that the world wouldn't be overpopulated with women. Rightfully so, Bly said, absolutely not. Yeah. And she filed a response to the newspaper under the pseudonym Lonely Orphan Girl. The editor of the paper, George Madden, was so impressed with her response that in an effort to locate her, he actually published an open letter in the paper to the lonely orphan girl and asked her to identify herself. And she did just that. She went straight to the Pittsburgh dispatch office and let George Madden know exactly who she was. Do I love her? Yes, I do. Clearly, (laughs) (laughs) She's amazing. There on the spot, Madden actually gave her a job as a writer for the paper. Her first article titled The Girl Puzzle would focus on the struggles that women who have gone through divorce suffer and also the lack of opportunities that there are for young girls. She wrote in the article of the many women that deny themselves food and clothing just in an effort to feed and clothe their own children. She wrote of how young boys are able to, quote, start in the depths, unquote, say as an errand boy and can work his way up to the top, but that girls are not given this opportunity, even though, quote, girls are just as smart, a great deal quick to learn. Why then can they not do the same? Unquote. She ends this article with the most eloquent but sharp jab. She wrote, quote, take some girls that have ability, procure them for those situations, start them on their way, and by doing so, accomplish more than by years of talking. Unquote. Burn. <laughs> Following the publication of this article, Bly was offered a full-time job, and as was common for female writers, she adopted a pen name. And here, finally, Nellie Bly became Nellie Bly. Mm -hmm. Nellie was originally spelled with a Y and not the IE. It was a minstrel song about an African-American woman written by Stephen Foster, and Bly had intended for her pen name to be written as it was in the song with the Y, but a mistake was made in publication and the IE spelling just ended up kind of sticking. Bly would make $5 a week, the equivalent of about $150 a week today. And although I was unable to officially confirm what her wages looked like in comparison to her male counterparts, We know historically and customarily in the late 1800s, women were making about 60% of what men were making for the exact same work. Mm -hmm. Bly continued at the Pittsburgh Dispatch to write about women and the struggles they experienced on a day-to-day basis. She wrote investigative articles about female factory workers and the different ways that men and women were treated in the workplace. Eventually, though, her writing started to make her editor and Pittsburgh as a whole 
nervous. Mm. I mean, we can't have a woman writing and exposing the realities of being a woman in America. What? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Excuse me? Who gave you the audacity? That makes Pittsburgh look bad. Yeah, please stop making us look how we actually are. Yeah. Would you not expose our dirty laundry? Uh, to combat this, the newspaper reassigned Bly to the quote-unquote women's section of the paper, which covered things such as fashion and cooking and art and gardening. Because that's all we care about. That's all I care about, really. Yeah. Definitely. I don't like history at no. all, really. Um, I don't like educating myself. No. don't. I don't follow politics whatsoever. No, absolutely <laughs> not. Really all like... World, you events. know, happen... World events, no. No. <laughs> Don't tell me. La, la, la. Plug in my ears. Don't want to know about that. But if you have a great chocolate chip cookie recipe. Share it. Share it, please. <laughs> I'm sure that this will come as no surprise, but Bly was not satisfied with writing about these sorts of things, as we also would not. Mm-hmm. She decided to shoot her shot and volunteer to travel to Mexico and cover, as an international correspondent, all about Mexican culture and customs. She would stay there for six months and would end up pissing off the Mexican government when she <laughs> openly criticized the current dictator for imprisoning a Mexican journalist. She was threatened with imprisonment herself, causing her to flee the country. Her writings about this experience would end up being published in her book titled Six Months in Mexico. When she returned to the Pittsburgh Dispatch, though, she was once again dissatisfied with the types of stories that she was getting assigned. In response to this, she left a note behind on her desk, which simply read, I'm off for New York. Look out for me. Bly. Have you ever wondered where certain phrases come from? Uh, absolutely. Like, what are the origins of, I hope you fall on your sword? Ouch. Or <laughs> where did the phrase come hell or high water come from? Or where does the cat got your tongue phrase come from? Tell us already. All right. All right. If you <laughs> or our listeners would like to learn exactly why we need to mind our P's and Q's in a fun 30 minute or less segment, you should check out the Why Do We Say That podcast. Now entering into their second season, every Tuesday, father and son, Scott and Liam Kelly, explain the meaning behind everyday phrases. And as a bonus, at the end of each episode, they play a fun round of what word am I? Ooh, how fun. <laughs> you can find Why Do We Say That anywhere podcasts are available. So shake a leg and check them out now. I wonder why we say that. When she reached New York, it did take her a little while to land a job because, well, duh, she's a woman. <laughs> she had to do some freelancing before. After a few months, she did eventually land a gig at Joseph Blitzer's New York World. And her first major assignment at this paper was pretty incredible. She was asked to get herself successfully committed to a New York insane asylum so that she could investigate and report out on the way that patients were treated there. More specifically, they wanted her to get into the Women's Lunatic Asylum on Blackwell's Island. And just for clarity, that is what this facility was called at the time. Their words, not mine. Yeah. Now, of course, to get oneself committed to an insane asylum as a patient, you have to convince people that you're insane, right? Yeah. I'm sure this will come as no surprise that condemning a woman as crazy or insane in the late 1800s was not like that big of a feat no <laughs> i mean that stuff was happening every single day yeah just right? like catch her on like a bad she's insane she's 
<laughs> she's insane. <laughs> Catch her when she's a little bit tired because she stayed up all night doing everything for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So getting in wouldn't really be the hard part. It was getting out of it. That was a whole other story. Uh-huh. When Bly asked her editors what their plan was for getting her out of the asylum, at the end of all this, they were like, um... And that was it. That's, their, that's the answer. That's the response. There was no formal plan to get her out. And she still chose to do it. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, I mean, like you already implied, Bly was dedicated to the story and she checked herself into a women's shelter under a fake name where she pretended to have severe mental issues. She yelled at the walls, wandered the hallways, weaved between speaking English and Spanish, claimed to have amnesia and so on. She refused to sleep, which automatically gave her, you know, like a natural frazzled look. She bothered the other women there enough that they ended up calling for a doctor who had her sent to Bellevue Hospital, where she found the patients were being fed rotten food and sleeping on rock-hard mattresses. Mm. She spoke with other women at the hospital and determined many of them herself to not be insane, but to simply be poor or immigrants that had come on hard times. Mm -hmm. Not long after being at the hospital, Bly was placed before a judge who quickly deemed her insane and had her sent to the Women's Lunatic Asylum. Immediately upon reaching Blackwell's Island, Bly began taking notes about her experience there. She wrote of the horrid doctor-to-patient ratio, writing that for some 1,600 patients, there were roughly 16 doctors. One doctor for every 100 people. She wrote that the doctors hardly paid the patients any attention, and she herself actually decided to drop the act of insanity as she quickly learned that even when she was acting like her normal, sane self, nobody cared. In the expose that she would later release, titled 10 Days in a Madhouse, which I have actually read and I highly recommend it. It's a really quick read. It's only like 100 pages long. Bly wrote of the horrendous conditions within the asylum. She wrote that the food was awful, the bread was black, and she found bugs in it. But because some patients had been so severely starved, many of them did not complain, but rather fought one another for as much of the hardly edible food as possible. Oh my gosh. Bly herself had to endure an ice-cold bath with a nurse scrubbing at her body aggressively. She was then dressed in a flannel dress without having been dried off and forced to go to bed right away, soaking her sheets in pillow. When Bly complained of how cold she was, she was told by staff not to complain and that, quote, this is charity and you should be thankful for what you get, unquote. When not subjected to intense cleaning, the patients were told to sit completely still on benches, to not move and to not speak a word. Bly wrote a bit of a, it's a little bit of a long passage about this in her expose that I was hoping that you could read, Leah. I shall try. I was never so tired as I grew sitting on those benches. Several of the patients would sit on one foot or sideways to make a change, but they were always reproved and told to sit up straight. If they talked, they were scolded and told to shut up. If they wanted to walk around in order to take the stiffness out of them, they were told to sit down and be still. What, except torture, would produce insanity quicker than this treatment? I would like the expert physicians who are condemning me for my actions to take a perfectly sane and healthy woman, shut her up, and make her sit from 6 a.m. until 8 p.m. on straight-backed benches. Do not allow her to talk or move during these hours. Give her no reading and let her know nothing of the world or its doings. Give her bad food and harsh treatment and see how long it will take to make her insane. Two months would make her a mental and physical wreck. This particular passage kind of stood out to me because 
we've done an episode on Patty Hearst. We were very recently talking about Patty Hearst. And one of the things that stands out to both of us is that it took two months to like convert or brainwash her, assuming that she wasn't involved with the group beforehand. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've acknowledged that we've, that seems quick. That seems quick, although we've never been in that situation. Yeah. Um, and we don't know and how And we don't know those... what the situation was. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but it does feel like it's rather quick. And so this passage from Bly stood out to me that mm-hmm. she, you know, spent a relatively short period of time yeah. in this insane asylum, but wrote that if you continue to be treated that way within two months, of course, you're insane. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Bly witnessed many patients being physically abused within the walls of the institution and determined that no one cared about them at all. Rather, that this facility was simply a place to quote-unquote dump society's poor and lesser than. And I mean, that's... Now we know that. Like, that these were essentially places where people dumped people that they couldn't or didn't want to take care of. Absolutely. After 10 days in the asylum, the New York world arranged for an attorney to come and release Bly from the institution. And on October 9th, 1887, just two days after her release, Bly dropped her first segment about her experience at the horrendous institution titled Behind Asylum Bars. The newspaper released her expose as a six-part series that would later be converted into the book that I mentioned that I've read. Mm -hmm. Practically overnight, Bly became the most famous journalist in the United States. And as a result of this expose, New York launched a full investigation into the state of the asylum. This investigation led to the funneling of significantly more money toward mental institutions, better supervision of staff, and the implementation of better controls related to overcrowding and amenities. Nellie Bly truly changed the mental institution industry in New York as a result of her investigative journalism. And she changed investigative journalism, too, as a whole. In fact, she's credited with ushering in an era of what's called stunt girls. It's a movement of women throughout the 1880s and 1890s that would go undercover to expose doctors, politicians, factories, jails, child labor, and more. Although she was rather famous at this point, Bly herself continued to go undercover to investigate corruption within legislature and other public institutions. I did hear, you know, I've done a lot of, obviously, a lot of research about Bly, and one particular person that I was learning from thought that he was pretty outrageous that even though she was super famous, she was going undercover. I think times are different, well, though, yeah. because it's like... It's not like they had, like, photos of her in the paper or exa- anything no, exa- like that. No, exactly. That's what I was going to say, is, like, if you're in California, you don't necessarily know about her. Well, and even New York, like... Yeah, I mean, even within the place where she lives and she's exposing these institutions and I don't stuff. know. I feel like I'm not... I, that doesn't weird me out at okay. all. Okay. There, yeah, yeah I, I, there was only one person that I was reading their article about her that was like, I can't believe she was able to still go undercover. But it's like, she's undercover, so she's, like, disguising herself in one way or another. But also... And it, also not using the name, and also does everybody... Like, was there photos of exactly. her published? Exactly. I, I think, like, we know the names and faces of celebrities do i know the names and faces of a lot of investigative journalists Heck no no, no. <laughs> I, don't. I, I know of like a few um ronan yeah, yeah i was thinking ronan i was thinking um john carey rue the guy that exposed theranos mm-hmm. uh, i know what he looks like um that's what i got (laughs) anyway because of bly's notoriety she was able to secure interviews with people such as serial killer lizzie halliday and women's rights activist susan b anthony so she's pretty amazing right just just this alone and yet we still haven't even talked about what nelly bly is technically most known for Mm -hmm. 
1888, Bly would run a new idea by her editor at the New York World. Inspired by Jules Verne's fictional novel, Around the World in 80 Days, which follows the story of Phileas Fogg as he, well, travels the world in only in 80 days. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's a little self-explanatory. No no vagueness in the title there. Yeah. Uh, Bly suggested that she attempt to do the same, but in real life. And on November 14th, 1889, she began her journey to do just that. Bly would travel through England, France, Singapore, Hong Kong, Japan, and more. When in France, she actually got to meet up with the French writer Jules Verne, which I think is pretty cool. Really cool. Yeah. When she was in China, she visited a leper colony. When in Singapore, she bought a monkey. I mean, when in Singapore, right? Yeah. (laughs) Her newspaper back home kept up all the hype by reporting out on Bly's travels every day based on the telegraphs that she sent telling of her trip progress. The newspaper even ran a guessing contest for its audience to guess at when exactly Bly would return home down to the minute. Hmm. This contest would garner nearly one million entries with the winner getting a trip to Europe. Bly wouldn't learn until partway through her trip while she was in Hong Kong that a competing newspaper, Cosmopolitan, had also sent their own female reporter, a woman named Elizabeth Bisland, on her own trip around the world to see if she could beat Bly's time. Rude. It's rude and also Bly, I mean, and maybe she just knew that she was going to be quoted later, which is why she responded this way, but she responded as if she didn't care. She was like, cool, let them. That's great. I'm still doing my own thing. yeah. Have two women travel yeah. around the world. and Where, yeah. you know, and I can see that two ways. Maybe she is just a lot more mature than me <laughs> or like not as competitive as me and was like, cool, thanks uh-huh. for letting me know. Or maybe she did feel like seriously, but yeah. just was smart enough to not be quoted as such. Yeah. Uh, the other reporter, Bislin, she left for her trip on the same day as Bly, but she was actually traveling in the opposite direction around the world. Mm-hmm. Bly arrived in San Francisco on the RMS Oceanic two days behind schedule due to rough weather and arrived back in New Jersey on January 25th, 1890. Bly beat Phileas Fogg's fictional time, cosmopolitan Elizabeth Bislin's time, and set a world record, having traveled the world in only 72 days, 6 hours, 11 minutes, and 14 seconds, all by herself for the most part. Mm-hmm. At a time when most women still had to be escorted to the store, Nellie Bly traveled the world practically all on her own with only the dress she wore, a cape, and a small bag. She would later write a book about her travels titled Around the World in 72 Days. Not long after this incredible feat, Bly would retire from journalism and would begin writing novels. She would write 12 novels for the New York Family Story paper that were not rediscovered until 2021. Oh, I didn't know that. Crazy, right? Yeah. I remember seeing a lot of big uh, news articles about it last year. I'm like, oh my God, that's so fascinating. In 1895, when she was 31 years old, she married Billionaire. I'm just going to up him a (laughs) lot You wish. (laughs) (laughs) In today's money, Billionaire. uh, She married millionaire Robert Seaman, who was 73 at the time. Less than 10 years into the marriage in 1904, Seaman would pass away and Bly would take over as head of his manufacturing company. Mm. Although it appears as though she was a great leader in those de- like little details that matter, you know, things like health benefits and on-site amenities, mm-hmm. she unfortunately was not familiar with business and finances and the company would eventually go bankrupt. And actually that kind of reminded me of Lucille Ball, who's someone that I hope to one day cover mm. to. I love Lucy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, no, I know who she, she is. Sorry, you just looked at me kind of blankly. <laughs> I, was like, I was more like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, she... Kind of similarly, like her and Desi Arnaz owned 
uh, their production company yeah. in the divorce, she ends up buying it from him. Yeah. Um, and she wanted to buy it from him for obviously a multitude of reasons. Like I am 50, per- more than 50% in this company. Mm-hmm. I founded it. We're not together anymore. Yeah. Um, but she hated like the business side of things and she struggled. Like people could tell, which was sad because she was so amazing and so talented and, yeah. and all that. But like in board meetings and stuff, she didn't get a whole lot of respect because she didn't really, she wasn't familiar with what she was doing. Yeah. There's, everybody has their strengths. Mm-hmm. We know? talk about that all the time with people that we personally know that like they can be wonderful people and so talented in so many ways. Um, but doesn't mean they're talented in all the ways. I think a lot of us yeah. experience that in the workplace that, uh-huh. that people get elevated to management positions because of experience mm-hmm. um, and because they are talented and, you know, they know things, but yeah. that doesn't make them a good manager. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Uh, I think a lot of us have experienced that. And I think Bly kind of experienced this too. Mm-hmm. It should be noted though, while she's, you know, working his, her, her late husband's business, that there is speculation to this day that she actually invented the 55 gallon oil steel drum that we still use to hmm. this day. Following her husband's death and the collapse of his company, Bly would return to reporting. In 1913, she would cover the women's suffrage parade in Washington, D.C. She would write an article titled Suffragists Are Men's Superiors and would actually predict in this article that women would achieve the right to vote in the year 1920, which ended up being true. Mm. Later, she would take this reporting all the way to the front lines of World War I, where she would become the first woman to do so. Bly passed on January 27, 1922 from pneumonia at only 57 years old. Just two years after women achieved the right to vote is when she passed, something that she had been fighting for throughout her entire career. Mm -hmm. In 1998, Bly was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame and was on the U.S. postage stamp set in 2002. In December of 2021, the Girl Puzzle Monument, which I love that they chose that title, the Girl Puzzle Monument, because her first article that she wrote for the paper the about, puzzle. it was called the Girl Puzzle. Mm-hmm. I love that. Uh, it was revealed, so this is very recent, December of 2021. It's this new monument. It was revealed on Roosevelt Island, Manhattan, which is formerly the location of the insane asylum that Nellie Bly oh. investigated. So let's check out a picture of the monument. Okay, so it's like a gold bust uh-huh. of, um, I'm assuming, Nellie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says the girl puzzle and Nellie Bly underneath it. And it looks like there's like smaller versions of it, a really big version of yeah. it. And it's mostly her face mm-hmm. down and her neck. Mm-hmm. And then so that was kind of a zoomed in picture of Nellie. This is what the full oh. monument looks like. Um, oh. And Nellie is there in the back. Okay, so it's similar to what we just looked at. It's also busts of, I'm assuming, other important women figures. So that's kind of the interesting thing. Uh-huh. None of those women are named. Interesting. Um, what this monument wanted to do, so it's in recognition of Nellie Bly. We can tell because she's kind of at the center of this. Her uh, bust is also made out of different materials. And it's, it has her name and underneath it. And it has her name. None the of the of other ones know. do. Mm-hmm. And so I was like okay, are these other, like, women in journalism or women that were, like, exposing workplace horrors or whatever? No. These are unnamed women. And if you look at them, you can see that they represent different demographics. Black, Asian, young, old, queer, Mm -hmm. and so on. And the artist, what she wanted to do was with this monument was to not only show Nellie Bly, but to have these other faces beside her to commemorate the experiences of those Women, those demographics, their lives, their hardships, and their accomplishments. Mm-hmm. I love it. I know. 
something else to see there's like these reflective plates yeah it looks like those um reflective mirrors like when you're driving on a road that has like a blind spot yes that's what it reminds me of that's exactly what it looks like and the purpose of that um well i read that there were two purposes one is so you can see yourself kind of reflected back in it which okay. i love yeah uh, and the other one is so that you can look at the images of those women the the sculptures of these women mm-hmm. in the reflective plate and look from side to side it kind of makes it a little more 3d you get to capture like all the angles of the faces i just think it's like such a cool such a cool monument add um, it to the new york list i know it add I, it add it yeah it's it's amazing Bly has also been depicted in many books films and shows she is truly so amazing and i'm so glad that we finally got the opportunity to talk about her I wanted to close out this episode with what I found to be one of her most inspiring quotes. She said, if you want to do it, you can do it. The question is, do you want to do it? Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Hashtag History. As always, we will share the pictures that we discussed on this episode to our Instagram and all sources used to put together the episode can be found on our website at hashtag history-pod.com. Subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you use. Maybe you use Spotify, Apple, Pocket Cast. We're on all of them. We're on all of them. Yeah, yeah that's all that I can think of is those three. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. all I can think of. We're on all of them I'm anyway, like, should though. Should I search? No. No. We're on all of them. We're on all of them. Uh, if you do subscribe to us and love the podcast, we would love it if you share about us with your family, with your friends. And then we would also love it if you gave us a rate and review. And then make sure you check us out on socials. We yes. are on Instagram at hashtag history underscore podcast. We are also on TikTok. You can check us out there at hashtag history, all one word. And we're on Twitter at hashtag history underscore. Yes. Uh, And we would love it if you came and joined us over on Patreon, where for as little as $1 a month, you can help support our books and booze supply. Uh, In exchange for your $1 a month, we also give you access to behind the scenes content, weekly hashtag hangout episodes, and automatic 15% off all merchandise. And we mail out cards and stickers. We sure do. We sure do. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bly was faced. Vermouth. <laughs> she left. Us, she left. Whoa, talking. And drunk went sober. Or and drunk went sober. <laughs> and drunk went sober. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Let's do that again. Checked herself into a women's shelter. <laughs> I don't know how I called her crazy. <laughs> That's. That's it's, <laughs> that's wild. Wild. That's wild. A hundred pays it. Pays it. <laughs> Jeez. <Wow. sighs> I need to drink my water. Yeah. Go to bed right away. To, oh my god! I just can't talk. Although she was rather famous at this point. Point. At this. <laughs> at this sport. sport. <laughs> oh my god! I'm so embarrassed. What? Hearing Pulitzer, I realized it wasn't Hearst who was in Newsies, and I just said that on the live stream on it was Wednesday. Pulitzer. It was Pulitzer. I did, oh, don't feel stupid because I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. It was f-ing Pulitzer. It wasn't Hearst. That makes me feel stupid too. They do mention Hearst though, because they say they Pulitzer and Hearst. They think we're nothing. Are we nothing? No. <laughs>
<laughs> Did they mention him? It's fine. Okay. It's fine. No one knows. No one cares. All right. They call him Joe. <laughs> I did watch that with you, though. Yeah, we have yeah. watched that together. Yeah. We'll watch Newsies with you. Okay. Okay. 